Hi, listeners. You can now listen to this community podcast production ad-free on Apple Podcasts and access the podcast one week early and get exclusive bonus content. Just hit the subscribe button now on Apple Podcasts. Or if you want access to all of the above, plus video versions of the podcast, head to patreon.com forward slash stop the killing. On the morning of August 1st, 1966, shots ring out from the observation deck of the clock tower on the University of Texas campus. It marks the infamous beginning of the modern era of mass shootings in America. I'm Sarah Ferris, true crime podcaster. And I'm Catherine Schweit, the former head of the FBI's active shooter program. And you're listening to Stop the Killing. Before we get into this week's bonus episode, we want to give a shout out to our latest Patreon supporter and now official do-gooder, Carolyn Casey. It really does mean the world to us that others believe in the podcast's message. And if you or even your business or employer want to join our Patreon community and get access to bonus videos, ad-free episodes, or simply to feel like you're taking a positive action to be part of the solution, then do consider becoming a Patreon member. Head to patreon.com forward slash stop the killing or simply find the link in the show notes. So with that, thanks again to Carolyn and on to today's bonus episode. We are back for another bonus episode of Stop the Killing because there's been some interesting developments in the federal gun laws. I don't even know if I've said that right. I've read somewhere these are the first federal gun reforms in three decades. Is that right? That's correct. In the United States, the first changes in the United States in three decades that have to do with gun control. I will say there was one change made in federal law within that three decades, and it was a law passed to protect gun manufacturers from lawsuits. Oh, what a great law that is. Hey, also, can I just point out, for those of us outside the United States, because there's, we often hear, oh, states changed the laws. The difference with this is federal means that it's across the country, correct? Right. Federal law is really, a, it's the overseer law, which yeah. I think a lot of countries have. But I think where you come from, all the gun laws are national laws. Yes. But in the United States, and that would be New Zealand. Um, <laughs> if you don't know by now. If you don't know. Right. If you can't tell from the sound. But in the United States, every state must follow federal law, but they also must follow their state and local laws. And a lot of state and local entities have different laws. And if they don't conflict with the federal law, they can go ahead and do those. You know, you could have a town that says guns aren't allowed here. If the federal laws are changed, then that means that all states have to then comply with those federal laws. Is that correct? Am I getting that right? That's correct. If there is a conflict, that's when something goes to the court, which we just recently had. But if there's a conflict, it goes to the federal courts or up to the U.S. Supreme Court, if need be, to determine whether or not the state law conflicts with the federal law. The last 30 years, these laws haven't changed and we've seen this massive spike in mass shootings, as obviously you've done all the research on. So are these laws the ones that are going to end mass shooting in our podcast? I would just love to say yes. I feel like there's a massive but coming. But there is a positive. There is a positive but. Maybe what we can do is make some changes. We may see some changes with these laws that may close some of the holes that are 
may be causing some of the problems that we have. We have a bigger problem in the United States than just whether or not you know, an 18-year-old can buy a gun. There's a much bigger problem with regard to that because, as we know, it's not just guns that cause the deaths. It's the people holding the guns. But when it comes to the federal laws, they are not anywhere near as detailed or expansive as many people wanted. And even many of the polls that were done, you know, there were polls that said, you know, 80% of the people in the United States want these full background checks done, but then the laws still weren't passed to support that. So our Congress is not willing in some instances to go as far in the law as sometimes even the popular polling indicates citizenry wants them to go. Right. Well, let's knock into the actual changes then. What are the actual reforms that have been passed through Congress? Yeah, I think that I even hate to use the word reforms. I think that what they're doing oh. is they're tinkering. Mm. <laughs> I know that okay. sounds bad. Reforms too big a word. Right. Too big of a word, right? They're tinkering with the laws that have to do with gun access and gun management somewhat to hopefully find some threads that they can pull where a person might be a concern or a gun purchaser might not really be the right one or a domestic situation is a challenge that maybe we want to not put a gun into the middle of. So there are pieces of the puzzle, but certainly by far not the puzzle, but you can't complete a puzzle without all the pieces. So if we get five pieces here, I'm happy about that. Okay. So can you summarize what they are? If I can just paint with a broad brush, the Democratic Party in the United States, which is considered to be more liberal, the Republican Party is considered more conservative. We really don't have a very big representation in the middle or an independent party. But the Republican Party wanted almost nothing done, and the majority of them voted against these. The Democratic Party wanted way more done than what was accomplished. But they came together and they managed to get majority votes to pass some legislation that the president then signed not too long ago. And then it's law. Everybody has to abide by it. So what are those things in the United States that are now law? I mentioned the idea of domestic situations. There's a big issue, of course, in the United States on who can purchase a gun once you Mm -hmm. have it. It's probably no surprise to our listeners that we have more guns than people in the United States. We have 400 million guns in the United States is the estimate. We have 300 and some million people. Yeah, but I've of, read recently that it was 120 guns per 100 people. We had Professor Adam Lankford on back when he did his study, which I want to say was... Yeah, five-ish years ago. Yeah. Right. And it was then it was only... Eight, it, well, I say it was only. It was 88 but, point something per right. hundred. So it's gone up significantly even in the last however many years. Well, certainly in the United States, I can tell yeah. you that there were 19 million new gun purchases last year. 19 million. Wow. Last year alone. Jeepers. Yeah. I know. And so for people who are more aficionados and they say, where do you get that number? I just want to say that those are numbers that are estimated based on the number of gun background checks that are done in our federal NICS system and the number of gun purchases. And then, of course, a much smaller estimate of the number of gun exchanges that would have occurred through what we would call kind of private sales. You know, not necessarily you and your neighbor, but it could be you and your neighbor. There's plenty of circumstances where you don't have to have a federal license to sell a gun to somebody. When I worked as an FBI agent, our concern was gun traffickers, right? right. So under federal law, even now, you can't go into a store and buy a gun for somebody else under federal law. If you go in there, you're considered a straw purchaser. 
What does a straw purchaser mean? A straw purchaser is a legal term that Mm. means that you are buying it, but it's not for you. And the reason you're buying it is because the other person isn't allowed to. I know that we've done a case where a shooter's actually accessed it through somebody going in and purchasing that weapon for them. Correct. So they would be a straw purchaser. Exactly. And sometimes we see that if you think back to the conversations we had about the Oxford High School shooter, who was a minor at the time that he was given a gun by his parents. Yeah. His parents went in, did a background check, took a gun from the store, gave it to him as a gift. And certainly it's a fair legal argument to say they were doing a straw purchase for him because Mm -hmm. his background wasn't what was checked. A gun purchase should be the person who's going to hold and carry the gun and be responsible for it, right? So this idea of gun purchases, part of that is they want to be tighter about it right now. Federal law prohibits straw purchasing, but I don't think that there's enough enforcement of that. And part of enforcement is just simply having the manpower and money to do it. And there's a system in place right now to check a background on somebody who wants to buy a gun, right? Mm -hmm. And how do they do that? The federal firearms licensee, the person holding the guns to sell them, checks through the federal system called NICS. NICS, right. That information is checked and then it goes away. So you can try to buy a gun on First Street and then on Second and then on Third, and then you can go over to Maine and then you can go over to Pilford, and then you can buy a gun at every one of those stores every day. And you are essentially clearly not buying those guns for yourself. You're buying them to traffic them, to sell them to other people. Gotcha. Got you. Got you. Okay. So that's what you currently used to be able to do, but these reforms will stop you being able to do that. I love the idea of your definitive answers like stop. (laughs) That's what I'm wanting to hear. I love it. I believe that the slowing down of trafficking and straw purchases, this law will help that because there'll be more money put into the agencies that have to do that. And they'll be more focused on that. So that's part of it. But also when it comes to background checks, there's another provision in it, which astonishingly there were arguments about pretty extensive. And plus, I think because of the name of it, people thought it was fun to talk about. There was big discussion about closing the boyfriend loophole. The oh, boyfriend you have loophole. to tell me what the heck that means. <laughs> My mind is spinning. So want to take a guess? What the boyfriend I couldn't means? even. What? When your boyfriend buys you a gun? It seems, no, I've got nothing. <laughs> That's good though. That would, you would be a straw purchaser as we now know. Well, right? yeah, true. No. Under law, so if there's a domestic situation and you're like, say, convicted of beating up your girlfriend or your wife, you may be prohibited from purchasing a gun because that information gets into the NICS system yeah. and you've been charged with a domestic situation. But there is, or there has been, this whole loophole of, well, are you really boyfriend and girlfriend? If you don't have kids together, like, are you really boyfriend and girlfriend? What? So so if they can prove that you're not boyfriend and girlfriend, then you could buy a gun or it didn't get entered into the next system. Right. It doesn't get into the next system. You can beat up this woman move on to the next one, beat up the next woman, move on to the next one. Hold on. That makes absolutely no sense. Anyway, let me just get, see if I'm getting this right. Pre this reform, the boyfriend loophole, you were better off to be beating up someone that you weren't related to because it then didn't go into the next system. Right. It might not go into the next system, right? Don't marry him. Yeah. Don't marry him. Just, yeah. Just have a, have a domestic dispute. But that's crazy because surely either of those situations should have been put into the system. Right. The fact system alone is identical. 
the thing that has to do with whether or not the person is a person of concern and whether or not a gun should be part of their equipment on a daily basis. But the challenge has been that, you know, we always want to define everything by male, female, wife, husband. Yeah. And the protections and the privacy protections, you can't testify against your wife, but you can testify against your girlfriend, you know, that kind of stuff. Ah, It's just, right. right? So we're very defined by rules that are, they're of legal definitions. And so this boyfriend loophole said, if you're not married to, you know, this partner, we can't really define that this person is. And so this is another change in the, how do we define who is the person you're involved with. Maybe we're going to expand that. So when you have a legal issue, a domestic issue with your partner, with somebody who you seem to have a relationship with, he is not going to, in most cases, I say he, because in most cases it it is the he, that's why they call it the boyfriend loophole. In most cases, something is going to go into a system, hopefully. And when it gets into the system that may prohibit that person from purchasing weapons. So a little tiny piece, potentially, I mean, that's a little tick. Yeah, check. Exactly. And I think that's what I mean about the pieces of the puzzle. You know, I think sometimes I feel like I want to be back in the days when we had our preschoolers and the puzzle only had eight pieces and that made it easy to make the puzzle come together. Right. You know, I used to think when I was in my younger and more naive days in the FBI, I thought we were working with, you know, like a 25 piece puzzle. You know, if we had those 25 pieces, or maybe even 50 and we put them together. But clearly right now we're working with a thousand piece puzzle or more. And you haven't um, even got the picture to see what you're working off to put it together. Yeah, almost. Right. Yeah. I was, yeah, I was going to say, and I think that whole puzzle is like white pieces. <laughs> so we don't even know the impact. And when you say, well, is this going to change things? I don't know because all the puzzle pieces are white. That's a lot of the struggle with it. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Have you ever felt that pang of disappointment when you couldn't add a ticket to your collection because it was digital or maybe you just lost it? Well, Stubforge.com is here to change that. Imagine this, tickets that not only look but feel like the real deal because each ticket from Stubforge is printed on the same quality stock that Ticketmaster uses and printed with genuine ticket printers. It's like holding a piece of the concert, the game or the show right in your hands. But Stubforge isn't just about replacing tickets. With the easy-to-use interactive designer, you can create custom tickets for anything, from concerts to sports games, pregnancy announcements or parties. Why not make your invitations stand out with tickets that are as unique as your event? And if you're trying to complete a back catalogue of missing tickets, Stubforge offers bulk discounts to make it both easy and affordable. With Stubforge, you can once more give your loved ones physical tickets and see their eyes light up instantly at the best gift you can give. So whether you're looking to reignite your ticket collection, craft the perfect gift or send the coolest invites, head over to stubforge.com. Start creating today and see how Stubforge makes every ticket a story worth saving. 
Visit stubforge.com and start making tickets today. Definitely straw purchasers and uh, somewhat tightening on the trafficking and the boyfriend loophole. Those have to do with obtaining guns. And one of the reasons why the trafficking thing is particularly relevant is that if you talk to people south of us, they'll say, United States, you manufacture all the guns and they're all coming down here. Right. And, and they're not happy about it. Those mm-hmm. traffickers are sending those guns into other countries because they're so easy to obtain. I mean, I think there's a couple of parts of it that have to do more with once the guns are out there, right? Yeah. Although I will say this about the background checks on the purchases themselves. This is kind of a new little nuanced piece, but I think we should maybe do a piece for our Patreon fans about the younger shooters. Every time a shooting occurs, I get, you know, dozens of calls from various media and academics sources. And one of the issues that I've heard a lot in the last, say, several weeks is talk to me about the young shooters. Are we Mm -hmm. seeing a change in the young shooters? So maybe we can talk about that. I think Um, that's a great idea. Let's do that. Let's put that on our Patreon page. Yeah, definitely. And then understanding that one of the other things that this federal law has is a little um, caveat for people who are in the 18 to 21 range who are buying guns. Okay. You know, you can't drink until you're 21 here, but you can buy a gun as many as you want, generally. This 18 to 21, we know, is a critical. That's the why the drinking age has gone up and down in, in years. Why are we sending somebody off to war at 18, but he can't buy a beer? So guns are in this category of something that, you know, is very volatile. Are individuals 18 to 21 really solidly there? And should they be allowed to purchase guns? Now, not surprisingly, the more liberal side of the Congress absolutely wanted 21. We're not talking about all firearms. We're just talking about rifles. In order to buy a rifle, a semi-automatic rifle that can shoot 50 rounds in seconds. Yeah. Which the polling, right, popular polls, the majority by far, people in the United States would like to see people under 21 prohibited from being able to purchase a semi-automatic weapon. But yeah. all of that aside, the liberal end of the Congress absolutely wanted that to be a starting point. The conservative side, as they call themselves, the Republican side said, oh no, that's a non-starter. And so where they came to in between was for 18 to 21 year olds, we're going to do enhanced background check, meaning that if there is a 18 to 21 year old, first and probably foremost, there'll be more time allowed to do the background check. So that may seem like more time, you know, it's in the system or they're not. But the challenge here in the United States is that information that's in the federal background system, and even in, in many of the state systems, the states have their own background systems if they choose to. In those systems, much of the input is voluntary. Right, which we've talked about. But some of the things that are falling through the cracks is somebody who might be arrested in a domestic situation, a boyfriend situation like we were just talking about. Also, a minor who is arrested or who has a mental health issue at the age of 17, for instance. Mm -hmm. 17 is that demarcation. If you're 18, you're an adult. But if you're 17, you're not. Juvenile records are sealed. They might be purged in some states. There's limited access to them. So in the background check in the federal law that was passed, which they still have to work all the details out, they're saying, look, the people who are 18 to 21, instead of this three-day rule, and then you get the gun, which we faced here in the United States, a three-day rule, you get the gun, we can't get the background done in three days. That was one thing that blew my mind. If if I remember this correctly, there was a three-day time limit for your background check, but the onus is on the checker 
to get it done. Otherwise, it defaults to being issued. Yeah. So is that changing that bit then? No, it isn't. Oh, okay. Yeah. We're keeping the crazy. We are keeping it. But you know where they're changing it is they're just tinkering with it a little bit. And they're saying, if it's a younger purchaser, 18 to 21, yeah, give this three days, but we're going to require the background check to include, say, checking back with the county, checking back with the local police department, checking back with mental health officials right. to see whether or not this is a person of concern for some other reason. And if there's a reason why we think we need to do that, we could extend that background check 10 days, a total of 10 days. Oh, I believe that's okay. the current rule, a, a total of 10 days to allow them to clear up or check juvenile records, which in many cases are sealed and would not appear in a federal system. But you could get a background check person, call the county and have yeah. them check their records to see if they had a you know, a kid who had a problem at 17 or 15 or 16 and something that maybe was not reported. And, you know, why would they do that? Because we have had shootings recently where we've had kids who had mental health issues, arrests, conflicts with the law, but it wasn't reported into the system because they were minors or it was mental health, things like that. But then how would that flag up now? So is it actually going to solve that problem? Thinking back to some of the cases that we've done with, as you say, young shooters, they haven't had any gun violence. These are acts that they've gone in and purchased their first gun. And this is their first act of mass violence. So absolutely correct. So that wouldn't actually fix that problem. Well, I think what we're trying to do is affect the problems that we've seen. We've seen a handful of shooters or we've seen some shooters who have had mental health issues before, or maybe they were arrested as a minor in possession of a gun that they'd taken from their dad's house. If you go back to check with the state and local officials, you might find those records. And a lot of times in those three days, there isn't time to get that done, especially remember what I said about the gun purchases. If we had 18 million gun checks and purchases through our next system last year, the same agencies with the same number of personnel are still trying to do those background checks that are, you know, three times as high as they were 10 years ago. It seems like it's going to be a logistical nightmare to even implement that because when you think about it, anything in the minor are sealed records. It's not something that's just going to be flagged up and easy to find necessarily. 18 plus one day, you go in and you get your gun and... Well, we we just saw a shooter who bought three guns in the first six months, I think, after he turned 18. So you're right, but it isn't easy. But I think the difference, and I guess as a person who's worked in the federal system, you you can't do it if the laws don't allow you to do it. And now we have a system that allows us to do that. And the obligation is on all these already overwhelmed systems and people deciding whether or not they should, you know, input somebody's mental health records into the federal system it's on them to get that work done. I can see why people would want that law raised to 21, because if all of a sudden you're an 18, you're an adult, then that gives you three years to almost prove that you are on the straight and narrow before getting access to that weapon. Whereas, I mean, you've got really no runway as an adult to prove yourself otherwise, if you can get it at 18. No, you don't. That's true. You know, and mm-hmm. I'm sorry to keep saying here in the United States, but I think that's the reality. Well, that's what we're talking about that, today. <laughs> but the thing is, it's frustrating to have to preface it by that because there's just this view since the National Rifle Association began its very public, very political efforts yeah. in the 1970s to make it appear that any change in federal law will result in a landslide of other changes that will take guns away from people in the United States. And that's a mantra that is always said 
as soon as you pass this law, then it's going to be the next one. It's a slippery slope. So that's the challenge is that even if everybody thinks 21 is a great idea, the political will, you know, including the congressmen who get political financial support from, you know, the NRA or the gun manufacturers, they don't want to have any of those changes made. They have a very keen agenda of their own. Manufacturers want to sell guns and they want people to buy more guns. And since guns are not perishable, right? Then you've got to convince somebody that you need more than one gun. You know, it's understandable that the gun manufacturers would say, hey, well, you know, if people are only buying one shotgun, but if we get them to like the idea of having different guns and we come out with a new model and this one has a pink handle so you can get it for your wife and all of that, then they're going to sell more guns. The gun manufacturers in the NRA were in the business of selling guns. They weren't in the business of protecting people. I mean, it's no secret. They've been providing you know, financial support to conservative legislators in the United States, which really prevented any gun legislation from moving through. So that's why it is a big difference. It is a big impact to have anything come through. There are certainly some politicians who say, this isn't enough. We should have done more. This is terrible. Everybody on that side agrees with that. But Sound politicians who understand that compromise is the essence of governing understand that these are steps forward that we didn't have for years and years Mm -hmm. in terms of what they believe are the things that may help to stem this tide, this terrible tide of mass killings. True terrors of horror, bizarre happenings, unexplainable events. On our podcast, Disturbed, Terror Takes Center Stage. Each episode is a journey into the darkest corners of human existence, delving into bone-chilling tales of kidnappings, serial killers, maniacs, and the very essence of your worst nightmares coming to life on this weekly true horror show. Disturbed is not for the faint of heart. It's an exploration of real, unadulterated horror sourced from everyday people. Each episode is a descent into the macabre, where we narrate stories that will leave you on the edge of your seat and crawling in your skin. We navigate the disturbing narratives that lurk in the shadows, offering a raw and unfiltered listen into the most terrifying aspects of the human experience. Enter at your own risk and let the unsettling tales unfold in the haunting realm of Disturbed. And remember, listeners, stay safe out there. Hello, this is Dr. Grande, the host of True Crime Psychology and Personality. On my podcast, I explore and explain the pathology behind some of the most horrendous crimes and those who commit them. We discuss topics like narcissism, psychopathy, sociopathy, and antisocial personality disorder from a scientifically informed perspective. What is a narcissist? How do you spot a sociopath? What signs can you look for to protect yourself from these dangerous personalities? It's not just about the stories, but also the science and psychology behind them. So if you're interested in true crime or mental health, I'd encourage you to give my show a listen wherever you get podcasts. There's two more big things that I wanted to tell you about. You know, I told you in the United States, you don't have to have this license to sell guns individually, but 
now they're going to shore up the rules a little bit more to say, if you're a gun seller, we're going to have some evidence of that and you need to get licensed. You need to be held accountable and you need to do background checks on people. So another little change. But once the guns are out there, the federal law also includes a couple of other things that I think may make a difference with guns in the hands of people. One of them is something that we've talked about a lot, red flag laws. There are 50 states in the United States, at least 19 of them in the District of Columbia have red flag laws in some version. Red flag laws is a provision, it's a statute, it's a law that allows you as a spouse, as a friend, a police officer to go petition to the court of law to say, I'm concerned about this person. You know, I had a police call to this office and there was a guy inside and he is very upset right now. He's getting divorced. His wife is taking his children and moving to another state. He's talking about committing suicide. He doesn't want to live anymore. That we're concerned that this guy is going to be a harm to himself or others. Kind of the same standard that we use for suicide watch, right? Right. If you're going to be a harm to yourself or others. So red flag laws that have been passed say in those circumstances where an independent person, the judge can make a determination that you may be a harm to yourself or others at risk. We can involuntarily take the weapons out of your house. We can take those guns away for a period of different state laws, but generally six months. And then, you know, then we give the guns back or somebody can come back and say, no, he's still really not ready to do that. What does the federal law do then? What the federal law does is it says, we're going to push $75 million to the states to help them actually enforce these laws. That might mean a judge, that might be places to lock those weapons up, that Mm -hmm. might be additional people to handle the petitions. So they're going to push money to the states to say, let's find a way to support the state's red flag laws so that they don't say, hey, we just can't really do this. We don't have the manpower to do it. It takes a whole day of going to court and you got to file these papers. So that's the concept is that there'll be better support for states who have and want to support their red flag laws. And it may prompt states that don't have red flag laws to now pass them, knowing that there is some federal support for them. Right. Throw some money at the problem. Yeah. Exactly. Now, speaking of throw some money at the problem, I would say the last thing I wanted to just mention is that the federal law also pushes, I want to say $300 million, you know, pocket change to schools for safety and mental health with not necessarily great definitions of what those are. And this is no question, a kind of a compromise language where some people came into it saying, we want to control who gets guns and how many guns are out there. And, you know, we want to control the actual sale of them. The other side of the pendulum is people saying, well, we wouldn't have these school shootings if we hardened the schools up and, you know, we put better doors on them and we put armed guards in every one of them. So this is part of the compromises. They said, look, there's a certain number of people in the legislature who said, look, I'll sign that into law. Maybe for instance, I'm, I'm making this up, but, um, but how would you know? Um, <laughs> Personally, I wouldn't. Yeah. Maybe there's a legislator whose signature they wanted, who was a legislator in the South and his state doesn't have red flag law. They're not going to benefit from that financially. Mm-hmm. You know, his state doesn't have any big problems in his mind about the boyfriend loophole or whatever. This is something where he could go to his constituents and say, But look, I'm bringing money into the school districts. 
if they need a grant for $50,000 to harden their target by putting in doors in the back of classrooms or putting up better doors in the front or putting in a different alert or alarm system. So it's the idea that let's look across the board and see where we can protect our people better, whether that's by stopping the purchase of guns, preventing guns from getting into the wrong people's hands, taking them away when they have a problem, or hardening the targets when they go to shoot. So it's an all-encompassing federal law that was passed. So we'll see over time. One thing that I don't like that I wanted to point out is that this part about the background checks for people 18 to 21, that has a 10-year sunset law built into it, Yeah, which means in 10 years, that provision will go away. Right. You had another sunset law. I've heard that term before. Why have I heard that term before? What was the other law? because we had a sunset law that prohibited the sale of automatic weapons passed in the nineties and was sunset 10 years later, as soon as the 10 years passed, it allowed for millions and millions of semi-automatic weapons to get purchased and put back on the street. That's what I remember. I remember the brakes were off then. Right. And there was a view (sighs) pushed by the, by the gun manufacturers, pushed by the national rifle association, pushed by people who don't want any control of their guns to say, you better get out there and buy your guns right now because yeah. the federal government's going to take them away from you. Yeah. The federal government's going to stop you from being able to buy them. And since they had evidence of one type of law that was passed, they know practically it could happen. I think it's impractical to think those guns could be taken away. I mean, everybody I know who is a big gun owner, you know, owns 15, 20, 30 yeah. guns. You know, nobody has money to buy those weapons away from people. And still we're talking not about handguns, which is the largest number of guns we have in the United States, the largest number of type of gun used for suicides, for instance, and things like that. None of these laws that we're talking about with regard to semi-automatics make any difference. It's like an 18 to 21-year-old background check. That's for any weapon. So that does include a handgun. And so that's not a bad thing. Red flag laws, that includes handguns. That's a good thing. Of those reforms, what do you think is going to be the most impactful? Hmm. That is a good question. But what is the one that you feel like that one has legs? Well, I mean, you can easily say none if you feel, no. I mean, you're pausing quite no, a lot that's a there. Good question. Well, because I'm trying to think practically, I think that the parts that will have legs that people won't see are the idea that we might slow gun trafficking down. Right. And that's going to have an impact that is more about gun violence across mm-hmm. the world, across the United States. If we can slow down trafficking, that is always a problem, straw purchases and things like that. I feel like there are always going to be resources for schools in different ways. So I don't think that's going to have the same impact. So I guess what I'm doing is eliminating, you know, I would like to see the biggest impact from the red flag laws support. And that's because in order for that to be successful, the people who have to be willing to talk to law enforcement are the parents and the friends and the business owners and the coworkers of the people at risk. And if the systems are in place and we still have shooters that have serious mental health issues that are allowed to retain their guns, those people are going to commit suicide and they might take family members with them Yeah, and they're going to take others with them out in the crowd. So I feel like the government is putting the support in at the back end if we as civilians are willing to do the work on the front end to identify people of concern. So that's mm. the one that I'd like to have the biggest impact. Mm. Is there anything that you think is missing that you would have really thought should have been in that reform? Well, 
again, I guess this is the thousand puzzle pieces, right? I personally, once you give them the gun, they have it. So I personally would have liked to have seen that 21 limit on yeah. rifles, you know, not because there maybe aren't plenty of responsible 20 year olds, but I think it's like the idea, could you drive a car without a driver's license? Absolutely. You could plenty of people do. We let kids on farms, they don't have licenses and they drive tractors that cost hundreds of thousands of dollars in farm equipment, right? It's not the skill of doing it. And there are plenty of younger people who are incredibly trained and responsible and have exposure to the environment that really supports gun safety and secure gun handling. But I, I think that, you know, 18 to 21 year olds, their brains are still developing. And because of that, realistically, you have to recognize that younger people are going to be less able to do the processing that, you know, they might want to do. And that makes them more vulnerable to be influenced by people who want to encourage them to do that, which is maybe something else we should talk about, which is the idea of encouraging others to commit violence because we're seeing kind of an uptick in that. That's depressing. But there is one word that has really jumped out at me this episode, tinker. It feels like these are not reforms. I think they are law tinkers. Is that the vibe I'm getting from you? It is, but you know what? That's not bad. I would say this. It's not bad to tinker with the law. That's the word we use when you lift the hood up on your engine and you Mm -hmm. tinker with a little bit because it sounds better. It runs better. It isn't like you have to throw the engine out and get a new one. And I think that's what we need to continue to do is tinker with the laws to see what will have the greatest impact. Yes. Because if I'm completely wrong about maybe the funding for school strength or the funding for trafficking, and I think that's an obligation that Congress has, that we have in the public that the media has to look back instead of just looking forward, look back at how this particular and marked substantial change in laws, even if it's tinkering, in the impact that it's had to see whether or not it was worth it, what ones were most valuable and to support those in the future. The last 30 years, nothing has changed. Finally, something's happening. So does that give you a bit of hope? It does for me. I mean, Mm. I think anytime we take an opportunity to step aside and uh, say, you don't agree with me, I don't agree with you, but let's see if we can find some spots in the middle where we think we might be able to make a difference. And that's what this is. I think these are good suggestions that may have big impact. They may have small impact, but without them, they have no impact. Thanks for listening. And if you want to know more, Catherine's book, Stop the Killing, is out now. For more details, go to katherineschweit.com. Please consider also supporting our independently made podcast. It's simple to do. Go to patreon.com forward slash stop the killing. And for as little as the price of a latte a month, you can be part of the solution to stop the killing. Patreon rewards range from official do-gooder status to ad-free episodes, autographed books, and opportunities to connect with us directly for your business, school, church, or even just a book club chat. But just knowing that you are part of a movement that has the power to make your community safer, well, that's got to taste better than a skinny cappuccino any day. So please head to patreon.com forward slash stop the killing now and polish off your do-gooder halo and make sure to include your name so we can give you a shout out. This podcast is a community podcast production. That's con with an N. If you want more content, then head over to community podcast at Instagram, where you'll find trailers on more binge-worthy true crime, like the award-winning podcast Conning the Con. And check out our show notes for all the links mentioned.
Finally, if you want one takeaway action that you can do right now that can help make our community safer, please share, rate and review this podcast wherever you listen. Everybody needs to know that they hold the keys to see something and say something. Together, we can stop the killing. It's one of those things you hope never happens, but you better train for it because it will happen and it will happen in places you wouldn't expect. Be ready for it. If you're enjoying Stop the Killing, check out more podcasts from Community Podcast Productions, like this one. Let me introduce you to Barry Clue, an authorised financial advisor from New Zealand and a very special kind of stain on humanity. He was a very uh, knowledgeable young guy. He was a registered financial advisor. The type of guy that was bending over backwards to help you. Now you could be forgiven for thinking that Barry sounds like a great guy. And you'd be right. Well, right up until the point when you're wrong. It was all fictitious. You stole from my son who has a disability. Chris never knew. He died believing that we're all taken care of. A psychopath is somebody who lacks empathy, acts impulsively. I think there's a strong case that Barry might be all of those things, actually. To find out how Barry Clue stole over $15 million from 81 victims, subscribe to Clueless, the long con. That's Clueless, spelt K-L-O-O-G-H-L-E-S-S. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, podcast listeners, I'm Paul Brandis introducing my podcast, Countdown to Dallas. It's a fascinating, in-depth look at the seemingly unconnected events that led to the assassination of President John F. Kennedy. It's based on my book of the same title. In that book and in this podcast, I go all the way back to 1939, when Lee Harvey Oswald was born into a troubled and dysfunctional family. I'll follow his transient and often violent teenage years and young adulthood, painting a fuller picture of the man who would later become Kennedy's killer. I also take a look at events unfolding in that era, like Cuba and Vietnam, and I'll unpack the conspiracy theories, too, not one of which has ever been conclusively proven. Subscribe to Countdown to Dallas at evergreenpodcasts.com or your favorite listening app, October 31st.